0: hello and welcome to the range project podcast this is chris mcgrory and i just graduated college from harvard where i played on the baseball team and studied psychology and economics and in these conversations i'm trying to learn from the amazing people around me I want to learn what my guests do, get the tips and tricks they use, and figure out the mental frameworks they have so you and I can apply them in our own lives. And today we have self-leadership coach turned author Eric Winters on the podcast to chat about his new book on behavior change called Swipe Right on Your Best Self. But who the heck is Eric and why should you care? So. Eric Winters had a full career as an IT specialist and spent many years all over the globe with IBM. But about 12 years ago, he pivoted. He got two master's degrees in psychology and started coaching leaders and facilitating workshops at big companies, like ones you've heard of. And you can find everything you'd want about him on his website over at ericwinters.com.au. Yep, he's in Australia. And in his new book, Eric answers the question, how do we avoid the number one regret of the dying? Pretty good motivating question. The book is super straightforward with three hurdles we need to overcome, three ways to prepare the body, three ways to prepare the mind, and seven steps at the end to encourage behavior change towards being our authentic selves. But most importantly to me is that the book is evidence-based and offers actionable tactics, not normal self-help mumbo-jumbo. And in this conversation, we dive into questions I had about the book and actually make a lot of connections to stoic philosophy, which resonates with the both of us and is definitely sprinkled throughout his book. But specifically, we talk about how junk values from culture that we've blindly adopted as our own get in our way we talk about how to use the reality of our own mortality to motivate us towards action we cover the importance of self-compassion and how it helps us achieve our goals we strip away the hippie lingo of mindfulness and chat about why it's such an important tool to train attention and as you could guess there's a whole lot more so with that said, I'll finally shut up. Please enjoy my conversation with Eric Winters.
1: One, two, three, do it.
0: Eric, my friend, how you
1: doing? I am very well. Actually, I'm waking up. I was about to say I'm feeling great, and I've, I was in bed 45 <laughs> minutes ago. But Chris, look, I've got my freshly brewed coffee here. I am revitalizing myself, and I'm going to be on full cylinders in in moments chris so just talk for a few seconds you take yeah. your time you you just get
0: going and can you tell the people where you're calling from because right now it yes. is five in the afternoon around boston massachusetts
1: yeah well i'm calling from your future chris because it's actually a 7 a.m in the morning here in sydney uh, it's a friday so i think i'm yeah, I day know, ahead. 14 hours about a day ahead yeah and in Sydney, Australia, where we have had such a good run with this virus until now. And it's just it's just beginning to get ground. So, But we had a good run. So I appreciate that.
0: And you, as I'll mention in the intro, are the author of Swipe Right on Your Best Self. And before getting into the book, which I absolutely tore apart, I loved it, margin notes all, all the way through. Uh, on my my Kindle notes, I would love to spend a quick minute on your background. like mm. how did you transition from a career <laughs> traveling the world as an i t specialist with IBM to now yeah. being what you call a self leadership coach and maybe along the way, if you couldn 't define what self leadership means to
1: you yeah, for sure so yes i 've been doing self leadership for about twelve years now, helping leaders in organizations to manage their minds, to to meet life's challenges more effectively, the challenges of the workplace, but also challenges in their their personal lives. So that's what I do today, and I talk talks and run workshops. But prior to this, I had a 20-year career as an IT consultant, predominantly with IBM and i worked in germany and munich fabulous time get, get it, if you get a chance you know when planes start flying chris you've got to go fabulous three years in munich in germany i uh, was in abu dhabi in the united arab emirates for, for two years worked in scotland for eight and also in australia but the curious thing was it didn't matter where i go i was witnessing a similar phenomenon regardless of the culture. So each of those work locations have really talented, skillful managers. They knew their job, well-trained, highly experienced. And when the pressure was on, and if you could imagine when the Qantas airline booking system goes down, Chris, there's quite a lot of excitement in the IT company that's supposed to manage it and pays penalties by the second, for every moment, it does not work. There's quite a lot of phones ringing. And there were managers who, when the pressure was on like that, some of them would fall apart. They would get very anxious. They'd contaminate their teams with their anxiety. And, uh, you know, they were very skillful, but they, they couldn't manage themselves when the pressure was on. And it, it wrecked the performance of the team. And yet there were also managers equally skilled, equally intelligent, equally experienced, who, when the pressure was on, maintained equanimity. They were able to ma- manage themselves effectively and then turn to their teams and get the best out of themselves and then get the best out of others. And I wondered what's going on here, what, what's happening, what's making the difference And I learned that there's a huge body of research, and you're well across this too. There's a lot of science. There's a lot of know-how. A lot of research has gone into when do people perform at their best? What are the external circumstances that support us? But also, what can we do? How can we help to manage our own minds okay. with effective strategies and mindsets so that we can work well. And I took a step back out of that corporate world. I've been training and cons- and coaching people in technical solutions for 20 years, but I took a deep, deep dive into two master's degrees in human behavior or science. I loved it. I love learning. And I think you do too, Chris. You are me, th- yeah, isn't it? It's just one of my five uh, via strengths is learn, love of learning. And so I yeah, dived into it. I loved it. And that's what I use now, what I've gleaned, what I've harvested out of those uh, two degrees. I've now applied to the real world. That's the background. And you're asking about self-leadership. And f- for me, Self-leadership comes first. Before you can engage effectively with others, uh, really help develop others, get the best out of others, you've got to attend to yourself. And I don't know if you've read Stephen Covey's book. I think it was about 1980. It's about 30 years old. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, you'd imagine a book 30 years ago. That's a long time ago. He must have been. It's a bit out of date now, surely. No, no. His first three habits are all about managing yourself first before you start to get the best out of others, to collaborate, to synergize with others. You've got to work on yourself. And that's what I focus on, Chris, helping people to uh, give them skills. It's just skills. Training people to develop their own capability to manage their minds so they can meet their life's challenges more effectively.
0: And all of these themes are tangentially throughout your book, but you really hone in on one question. And before I start, love the organization of your book. I would recommend everybody out there. It, it is so to the point and you know the question that he's trying to answer. And you're trying to answer this question of like, how do we avoid the number one regret of the dying, which says, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. And that just hit me. I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So, what do you tell someone who might tell themselves, I'm just not that courageous or I'm wired to be risk averse or whatever they might tell themselves? Not yep. that I know anybody like that at all.
1: <laughs> no, no, we, none of us know anyone like that. But what I'd say, Chris, is you're right, you are risk-averse. You are not naturally courageous. You are afraid. Me too. And so is everybody else out there. We're all in the same boat. And I think Anne Lamott put it beautifully. She said that the problem is that we compare our insides with other people's outsides. And we're feeling all anxious and screwed up, and everyone else seems to have it all together. They all seem to be on top of things, and they're not. (laughs) not. If only we could hear the inner dialogue that's going on inside other people's minds, it's very much like ours. So if we can develop just a little bit of self-compassion for what it's like to be a human being and know that you are not isolated and different and separate you belong, because we're all, we, we don't like to admit it. There's an awful lot of pressure, Chris, I think, especially on men, uh, especially in business, to project an image of control and assertiveness and confidence, yes. But it's, it's a mask. Uh, the leaders who are willing to be vulnerable and demonstrate, actually, no, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't know everything. Uh, I'm concerned as well. Paradoxically, when people reveal a little bit of that inner vulnerability, the teams around them, the people who work for them, trust them even more. They believe in them even more. So, uh, yeah, anyone tells me they're uh, afraid, fearful, risk averse? Yes, you are. I love (laughs) that. But we don't have to stay. Trapped in that. There are things. There are things we can do to help ourselves to choose to take courageous action.
0: And all you (laughs) listeners out there, don't worry. We will get to the solutions. (laughs) We will get to the solutions in time. You mentioned self compassion and vulnerability, which Mm. especially we'll definitely touch on down the road. And I would love to connect to. I think high school and college age uh, guys in particular have this. They run up. I know everybody does, but in my experience, that's the only one I can speak to. There's a lot of challenges to overcome with uh, respect to self-compassion and vulnerability, but getting mm-hmm. ahead of ourselves before we get there, you you have, again, in this straightforward format, you ha- give three reasons why living authentically is so dang challenging. And yes. I'd love to zero in on maybe the second two. And first could you just share some of these junk values from culture mm. that yep. we've confused for
1: our own? Yes. So we, we live in a world which continually drip feeds us junk values. We are being fed these junk values and the, the messages we get this through the media billboards. You don't see so many magazines now anymore, but you can be sure that social media is replete with messages that that tell you that actually currently, well, one, the way to happiness, it can be it can be bought. Happiness can be bought and it can be bought with a a fragrance or a fizzy drink, you know, or a a vehicle or a new phone. A new phone can do it, too. That can bring sustained happiness. And uh, the sad thing is we, we believe it. The advertising the advertisers are very very clued up on human psychology they understand how to tap into our our vulnerabilities and we get messages again and again telling us that actually as you are this is how advertising works as you are you are not enough currently you lack. currently you're not attractive enough you are not young enough you're not popular enough you're not rich enough you're not well trained enough. A lot of uh, college students experience that. I certainly have. I've got to get more degrees, got to keep going. I need more qualifications, more certifications. I need more proof to the outside world that I'm, I'm capable, I'm, I'm competent. So we're told again and again, we're simply not enough as we are. But if you buy our fragrance, our IT product, our book or whatever, then it will fill the gap and you'll be fine. And if it didn't work first time, then buy again. Repeat prescription as necessary. Uh, and that it does not work. It doesn't work. So we've been told we're not enough. And this constant messaging, you and I and your listeners, we hear it and our conscious minds do not believe it. Our conscious minds reject it. That's ridiculous. Look at that. That's and you're, it's especially obvious when you walk through an airport duty free, the advertising suggesting that if you had this watch or a fragrance, it's just appalling. And we laugh at it. But at the same time, another part of us is paying attention and is soaking it in. And it depletes us, this kind of messaging that we're not enough as we are. It erodes our well-being and our capacity to engage boldly in life. But there's one more important thing about the messaging we get from outside, which erodes our ability to live with courage. And it's this, the messaging we we get relentlessly tells us that we must and we deserve to feel good now. Feel good, stay good now. We're in a world that's designed to keep us comfortable. And increasingly our culture is telling us that not only should you feel good physically, but also you should never be upset. No one should ever introduce an idea to you that's that's challenging or that mismatches with what you already believe, because that's that's insulting and that's, uh, that's unfair. It's, it's a trauma. In fact, it's traumatizing. So we must protect each other from any ideas which aren't entirely aligned with what we already believe. And this is ludicrous. We need to develop a capability to experience and stay with discomfort. It's absolutely critical. And the more we keep ourselves in this comfortable land, no one challenging our thinking, always physically comfortable, then we lose our ability to experience discomfort. It wears away. And if you're going to live a courageous life, if you're going to be bold, you'd better l- develop a thick skin that's going to allow you to do things that are uncomfortable. It's a prerequisite to living a big life.
0: Right. But it's it's a short-term. We're averse to the short-term discomfort and we, mm. we pivot for the, yep. the easier road. And you had- in a very pithy few sentences how you're, you are <laughs> you got to, I think it was like replace the, the short-term feel good for the long-term purpose. Yes. And yeah. that had the highlights and the notes all over it. Just like, yes, how can we remind ourselves that this short-term discomfort will lead to living a more purposeful life?
1: Yes. Yeah. There's a reframe that's necessary. So the the problem is when we're on autopilot, if we're kind of sleepwalking through our lives, then it's natural. Of course, we're going to avoid discomfort. Who wouldn't? You're supposed to. You're designed. It's woven into your DNA, Chris, to avoid feeling uncomfortable. So... If we're on autopilot, we we will we'll take, as you say, the easier route. We'll have the chocolate now. We'll procrastinate. We'll put off that, S, that that assignment, whatever it is. The phone call, the difficult phone call, we'll put it off till tomorrow and maybe never do it. And that's natural. The solution, and perhaps we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we need to give some hope to your listeners. The solution is that, one, we've got to wake up we actually need to kind of snap out of this zombie state that a lot of us are in. Well, all of us, all of us are in a bit of a trance at times. Wake up, notice what's happening, notice the opportunity, notice the discomfort, and intentionally choose to do what's important. So there's a conscious conscious decision. And, And when we do that, discomfort becomes the price of buying something that's worth even more. I love that. And that that word choice really
0: mm. reminds me of a lot of the stoic thinkers that we were nerding out about before we hit record. Mm. And when I was reading it, I that idea of choice came to my mind when I was reading the section on toxic positivity, which is yeah. uh, another of these junk values. And I thought, well, there's a stoic concept of amor fati to love your fate, and you can turn any obstacle into fuel to move forward and reach your goals. And that really resonates with me. And then you mentioned how it's, it's important to validate and acknowledge difficult situations that you're in. So I'd yes. love to hear how do you square those two ideas.
1: Yeah. So we, we it's when we're challenged, the temptation is to take uh, use willpower. Perhaps it's it's the, the easiest way. I'll, I'll just I'll just force myself to do this thing, and that's you know there's a there's a place for that. There's a place for it, but it's quite wearing. It's quite tiring forcing yourself. A better approach, an emotionally intelligent approach when challenged, as you described, is actually to notice and acknowledge the reality of the situation. There is discomfort. Yes, there is discomfort. And and there's something that's very important to me that matters. And I'm going to choose, I'm going to willingly choose to do what, what is worth the price. Now, Amal Fatty is saying we should look for, recognize that there is an opportunity, there is something good in where we're at. Now, we may not have chosen to, let's, let's say you're attracted to someone, you don't know them, and you're thinking about... <laughs> Ask them out to have a coffee. Now, this is something that's important to you. You'd like to have the relationship. Now, and at the same time, it's uncomfortable. This is a, what if. What if, horror of horrors. They say, i just die. You know, so the mind is fabulous at <laughs> conjuring up these catastrophizations. i just die. It will be intolerable. Now, the Stoics would say, and of course, it was Nietzsche who coined that uh, lovely term, uh, amor fati, is to say actually recognize that this is good that you have the opportunity to ask someone out. The alternative is nothing, you know. Is there, there isn't there wouldn't be anyone. So wouldn't you rather have the choice of asking them out? And all of our life situations, a lot of them we would not choose for ourselves. Actually, things happen, stuff happens in life. And we have, an, we have an option as to how we're going to look, how we're going to view what's happening. And some would say, oh, you've got to look for the silver lining. There's a little bit of something good. But the Stoics and Nietzsche would say, no, no. And uh, it, this is much bigger than that. This is good. It's, this is really good. We're not talking about a silver lining. There is a, Let's expand that lining out into a huge thing. Thick. I don't know what you call it, a ring, a great big ring. And, yes, at the middle, there is some black stuff. Yes, there is some black. We are acknowledging the dark cloud that's in the middle. But look at all that brightness around it. So we are acknowledging both. We are accepting, yes, there's this discomfort. Yes, I would rather not feel this way. Perhaps I've been laid off. I don't know what. But every circumstance that has some discomfort also has, if we're only willing to acknowledge it, enormous opportunity, significant opportunity. That's how I would put the two together.
0: No, that's really helpful for me to hear because I think, In my kind of interpretation of those ideas, I've kind of missed that recognition of that little black dot in the center of that big silver ring. And I kind of brush it off. I said, oh, I'll let other people feel sorry for me. I'll let other people recognize why this is difficult. And I don't give that to myself. And I'm fortunate to have not come across like the most adverse past childhood and teenage years and whatever. So I could get away with that, but yeah, shit's going to come up in the future. And I might be set myself up for, for a disaster if I don't give myself that, that recognition.
1: Absolutely, Chris. And, and you're so right. Bad stuff is coming your way. If you're a live human being, you can be absolutely certain bad stuff's coming your way. And paradoxically, much more bad stuff is coming your way if you're going to live a big, bold, meaningful life. If you're going to reach for relationships that you really want, work opportunities to develop your career and your skills and your capabilities that you really want, on that journey, you are going to have setbacks, disappointments, uh, betrayals. It, it's you cannot. It's like driving a car. You cannot drive a car without it occasionally getting scratched, dinged. And uh, the only good-looking cars are the ones that are left in garages and they never drive anywhere. Now, what kind of a life would that be? Stuck in a kind of a a safe garage, the garage of safety. we have got to get out on the road. We've got to cross the plains. We've got to cross the mountains. We've got to make big journeys, big, bold journeys. We've got to make discoveries, connect to people, learn things, and along the way, bad stuff's going to happen. So it's not a bad idea to learn the skills now so that you're better equipped to uh, not enjoy them, never enjoy them, Uh, these setbacks. No one's saying, oh, you've got to like it. I think Christine Neff has it right, the self-compassion researcher. She says we need to develop mindfulness for experience. And her definition of mindfulness Is experiencing things and especially discomfort as it is, not exaggerating it, not being swept away with it, and also not pushing it away, not trying to pretend it doesn't exist. So it's a very realistic approach. Actually, yeah, you know, right now I am feeling anxious, I am feeling hurt, I am feeling angry, I'm disappointed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. It's just, it's an acknowledgement. It's a very honest way to go through life. Now, we're not saying you stay just doing that. I'm feeling hurt and I'm going to keep feeling hurt for the rest of this week. No, but we're acknowledging it up front, not pushing it away, but we're turning towards what's important to us whilst the discomfort is still there. This is the trick. Not a trick. This is the strategy, emotional intelligence strategy. It's being willing to do what's important, to make the call, to call the girl, to apply for that job, even while you also feel some discomfort. That's a life of courage.
0: Now, thank you for, for riffing on that for me, because that is helping me think about these Concepts more holistically and not and just getting another perspective. It's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, and these ideas aren't incompatible. That's that's oh. really really helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah, they yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just being realistic, and unfortunately, the human mind loves uh, directing its attention to what's wrong with a picture. You got a picture; it's it's sucked in, and what we focus on is expanded in our awareness. Anything you focus on will take up more attention. So if you focus, if something's going wrong in your life, if you focus exclusively on that, it will expand and occupy everything. But if we're realistic, if we can take a step back, notice everything else, and notice the opportunities, actually, that have arisen, as often as a consequence, of the bad thing happening. Now, no one would have chosen the bad thing. We're not saying you should like it or be grateful that it's happened. But at the same time, when bad things happen, sometimes other doors open. Let's put it that way. Other doors open. And d- yeah.
0: No, I was going to say, I think that's where I struggled with it. <laughs> this idea was that I, if something bad happened, I, almost, I would flip it and say like, I like this. This is good, and which I think I might have been missing that that mindfulness step of honestly recognizing. I think you call it being pragmatic um, mm-hmm. or pragmatically positive. Um, yes, which is I think kind of the antidote or answer to this toxic positivity that you say is a um, one of the junk values that we're we're drip fed i love that phrase but the, the second and i'll promise we'll get to solution this is not all <laughs> all bleak but i do want to talk about the last human predicament and that's about oh, yeah. death and yes, yeah can you maybe explain this third predicament and why it gets in the way of living authentically
1: Yes, thank you for not letting this one skip through the cracks because it's it's really important. So, as a human, we're in a really unusual position. M- most animals are oblivious of their own mortality; they they live in the moment, which has an, an upside. You know, there's quite there's a lot to be said for. Look at your dogs and cats. Yeah, they they're not Pretty stressed happy. about tomorrow. Yeah, they they are. They're having a great old time and and we can get better at being in the moment too but we have an awareness and top of being able to be in the moment we also have a mind which can project ahead okay what's happening tomorrow and we all can recognize that actually we're only here for a while this is going to come to an end and that that is a very daunting thought because our biology is all wired up to staying alive there's a priority the number one thing that our genes are trying to do is stay alive stay alive at all costs stay alive and we've we've got that happening at one part in our body stay alive and then our mind is looking ahead but and it says oh, hang on but death is certain and we've got these two things happening they are impossible to hold together comfortably at the same time i must stay alive and actually i must die now this is a problem for us we don't like this and because we prefer to feel comfortable we push our mortality out of mind no no point thinking about that we'll tell us we'll say things like oh no point being miserable no point being more than we push it out of our mind we don't think about it we don't like to talk about it it's almost impolite in society But there is a huge price to be paid when we push this inconvenient truth to one side and the price is that we rob ourselves of the urgency to act and live with courage now, right now, while we can move and talk and connect and pick up the phone and try things out and call that girl and apply for that job. If we really put, and we can, we can, most people do this. They, they're very successful at putting death out of their minds and we can just procrastinate our lives away. It feels like oh, I can do it tomorrow. I can do it tomorrow. And it's, it's quite a hard thing actually to To fully recognize how finite our lives are. And it's my experience, Chris, I don't know if this is the same for you, but it's my experience that if I just say to myself, oh, I've got another, say, 50 years left, well, that feels like an awful long time. That doesn't, that, it's kind of hard to get your head around it. And there's a a lovely website that's mentioned uh, in the book, Count.life. And your listeners should, even now, Bring up a browser and just type in count.life uh, into the URL field and press enter, and it'll just ask you three questions, I think. And one is, uh, uh, when were you born? Uh, how, how long do you think you, you, you might live for? Be generous. Give yourself 100 years or more. Yeah, give it whatever you think. And I think it says, what color would you like or something like that. And then you just press enter, and it will present you with a visual of the rest of your life. And it will show you a brick for every week you've got left. And when I looked at that page, showing me the visual of actually actually what it looks like, the number of weeks, and let's say I've got 50 years. When you look, look, you've got a visual of what 50 years of weeks looks like. It's not that much. It's not that much. And it just, and also after the bricks, there's nothing. It's not like it kind of tails off and there's a kind of dreamland. No, there's nothing. There's nothing after the bricks. So it really helped me to acknowledge and, and uh, realize, whoa, I only have a certain amount of uh, life left. There it is. I can see it there. I might not get all of that. You know, who's, who's to say? We, we're not, none of us are guaranteed to get right to the end and the other, and it's and the, the news, as so though it's not already bad enough, Chris, it's slightly worse. And that is that we've got the most vitality that we will have to live is now. Those bricks, as you get further on in life, you'll maintain lots of vitality. But of course, in your last 10, five years, all of our energy levels, look, it's we've become less flexible, our memory will go to some degree. Your best weeks are right now. That visual really helped me get a, develop a sense of deserved urgency to be bold in my relationships, in my career, in my uh, social life, in my health, in my activities, in everything now. So, yeah, this third predicament, an awareness of mortality, we push it out, we've got to pull it in.
0: And that's that's the the healthy relationship with death, and that is what I'm going to go back to. The Stoics are uh, talking about when they mention their practice of memento more, mori, just remember your own mortality, and it's just a remembrance, and then it it kind of gives you a kick in the butt to go to go at it. But what would you say to someone who recognizes this reality? They don't push it away. They recognize it, mm-hmm. and, and then they take a more depressed or F it attitude. this is something I kind of see in kind of a, a Gen Z kind of high school age generation, not to say that I'm not very close to to them, but what would you say to, to those folks?
1: well if, if you'd introduced to this idea very briefly it's it's possible to think, oh, what's the point then? If I'm going to die, if I'm not going to be around for eternity, <laughs> if I'm not going to have universal existence for all time, well, what's the point of anything? You could think that. And I think this is born out of a, uh, a misunderstanding of how significant your life already is as it is. To be a conscious human being, even for five minutes, just for five minutes, would be an extraordinary gift, an amazing gift. So, yes, this universe has been around for 14 billion years, and we get – and then after that 14 billion years of silence, suddenly you are here, suddenly. Suddenly. You wake up, you can see, you can taste, you can touch. And you get that. You might get it for a day. You might get it for one year, 10 years, maximum 100 years. And then there's blackness again. There's nothing. However, you it will always be true when you're not here. It will always be true that you had left. That's permanent. You will. It will always, forever and ever, be true that you had lived you had made choices that you had made a difference in other people's lives that you had you had tasted things you had kissed attractive women you had learnt how to play musical instruments you had enjoyed delicious coffee you had climbed mountains these are all experiences and they will have happened for all eternity we all have an opportunity, and it's really an obligation in the time that we're here to fully experience what it is to be alive while we're alive, to fully experience it, to reach for what matters, to be personally ambitious in our relationships, in what we aspire to, because it's an extraordinary thing to be a conscious human being, and to get five minutes is phenomenal. You've got more than that? Wonderful, that's extraordinary. And it will always have been the case. And when you're not here, you will have left a legacy. There will be ripples throughout uh, other people. They will continue and to, to to remember and be touched by them. So we all get a choice. How do we choose? How do we choose to show up while we're in this extraordinary, unprecedented condition will never happen again. You being alive and awake, go for it. Well,
0: thank you for the encouraging spin on it. And it's not even a spin. It's just a healthy relationship with it. Um, And you're hinting at the good stuff. We're getting towards the solutions that we've, we uh, we've mentioned throughout. And again, I'm going to go back to the format of the book, beautifully straightforward to combat these forces. You yes. get, there's more solutions than there are problems, folks. There's yes. three ways you can prepare your body <laughs> and three yes. ways you can prepare your mind. And yes. I would love to, because we've mentioned it, talk about self-compassion mm. and because when I'm in a rut, I think this is, this is compromised and I justify to myself that I'm trying by like trying to do more, but you make the case that research shows on self-compassion that it actually helps us achieve our goals. So how does that work?
1: Yeah. Well, so so here's the thing broadly speaking, and this is very, very broad, Chris, as you're aware, we're. We're in one of two states often. We're in one of two states. We're either in a kind of a threatened state, fight or flight, or we're in a, a kind of a, an approach state where we're not feeling threatened. We're feeling safe and we're moving towards what we want. So in life, we're either moving away or we're moving towards. If you are in a distressed, perhaps a self-critical state, Oh, I should never have done that. Why, why do I always stuff up? How, how can I never get anything wrong? You are threatening yourself. You're threatening yourself. You are putting yourself into a uh, fight or flight state. You are activating the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system. And when we do that, we all become more automatic and habitual in our actions your capacity to choose what you're going to do is severely eroded by being in a threatened state it we will all just do what we normally do uh give into urges give into impulses be defensive now there's times actually being defensive is a very good idea if you're actually under some risk there is a threat being defensive is a great idea however if we're going to be courageous if we're going to be bold We can't be on autopilot. We cannot be doing what's habitual. Because remember, our genes want us to stay comfortable. They want to keep us in the comfort safe zone. Stay there. If we are going to lead courageous lives to author our own lives, we need to have the capacity to choose what we're going to do. We can't be in this threatened state. We've got to be in this approach state. We do that by being kind. To ourselves kind now we're not saying indulgent, putting ourselves off the hook. When a, a mother is taking her child down the in a supermarket down the biscuit aisle and the child wants every biscuit, every cookie, uh, every sweet, uh, every lolly, and the child, the mother is kind when she says, Not now, not now. Uh, she's not giving, letting the child have her own way, she's being kind by saying, not now. There are times we need to be kind to ourselves. And we, and we can be kind in many, many ways. Uh, we, can, we can comfort ourselves. I'm, yes, it's hard. Yeah, that was tough. Yes, I'm hurting. Yeah, ow. Yes, I'm disappointed. I'm worried. This this, this really does suck. Yes, it's this is hard. We can be kind to ourselves paradoxically when we're kind to ourselves it puts us back into this green zone this healthy safe zone and we are now more present and better able to choose what we're going to do next so self-compassion big part of it is kindness towards the self big part of it the other two parts of it according to Neff, were mindfulness we mentioned that earlier which is being realistic about your experience and also being present. And the final part is acknowledging our common humanity. We are all in this together. Yes, you're feeling anxious, and you know what? So is everyone. Uh, Maybe you're especially anxious right now. Sure, they'll be especially anxious next week. Their their turn is coming. And that also helps put us back into this kind of uh, approach Zone this green uh, zone of safety and well, and a little bit more well-being that we need if we're going to lead a courageous life. We need to we need to be kind
0: to ourselves. And this is a message to myself as I listen back to this: that the self-criticism is self-imposed, and you're choosing to be self-critical, and that choice is putting you in a fight or flight state and that's putting you on autopilot and that's when life gets a lot harder in your it's self-imposed and there is another there's another path there's a there's yeah, a lighter path
1: it, it, that's true and chris sometimes it's it's not as self-imposed as we might imagine so uh, a number of us grow up either in households or in schools in which voices did criticize us for getting things wrong. And uh, you can't do it that way. Why can't you do anything right? No, you've got, you've only got five out of 10 in that score. You've got to do better. So we've been criticized off sometimes as we grow up and we internalize those voices. So it's perfectly possible to be a, an, an adult and still hear a critical voice. And you're not choosing. Sometimes we don't choose that voice, but it, it just bubbles up. A part of our memory uh, just unhelpfully, unhelpfully conjures up this voice. Why can't you do better? Something along those lines. You're not, you're not good enough. But what we can do as mature adults developing these skills is get better at noticing The voice and treating the voice kindly. So when it says you're not, you're just, you're just not good enough, you you say, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Thanks, mind. Yeah. And I know you mean well. Yeah, thanks. But I'm going to make this call. But I'm going to, I'm going to do this assignment. But, but, but thanks. (laughs) That's a
0: great, that's a great way to, to kind of personify it. And you mentioned that this is a skill that you can develop and when yes. you can develop a skill that, that doesn't mean you're born with it or not. No, you can get better at it. So what, yes. what practices or resources would you recommend listeners, me try to kind of develop this skill?
1: Yeah. So I'd say that the foundational skill to being able to choose to be courageous And and that's why I called the book Swipe Right on Your Best Self. It's about making a choice what kind of person you want to be. The foundational skill is developing the ability to decide where or how you're going to use your attention. When we can't choose where we're going to place our attention, it will just be well, – we're at the mercy of – emotional winds and they're going to blow in different directions at different times and uh, we're we're vulnerable but the more we can actually choose what we're going to notice the more choice we will have in life so one of the things that's made the biggest difference to my uh, well-being and my ability to live uh, with courage was learning the skill of mindfulness and let me admit chris i put it off for so many years because i thought it was some kind of hippie nonsense some spiritual woo and i wasn't having any of it and i i've seen i've seen them sitting in circles and what have you crossed leg that's not for me and it wasn't until much later in life i discovered there's nothing to do with uh, hippies or well, spirituality no n- nothing it's an attentional practice it's a practice of attention and wow when you can begin to get better at choosing where and how you use your attention, not only do you get better at making choices, the, the difficult choices in life, but my experience of just enjoying life has dialed up hugely. And I tell you now, anytime I have a, a bar of chocolate, wow, I can give all of my attention to the delicious, creamy, rich cocoa flavors. And it goes for all savory experiences. Uh, they 're all dialed up when i 'm outside walking in nature and you had a great podcast talking about the, the, the power of, of nature and being in it and the environment when i 'm in nature, if you 've developed your mindfulness skill, you can really tap in to the experience of being in nature. immerse yourself and stay immersed. So I would really encourage everyone to learn mindfulness. And the, the good news is, yes, you can go on courses and you can t- sit down and train your mind, but you can also develop mindfulness through very simple means by just deliberately stopping to enjoy your coffee. If you're a coffee drinker or if you're a tea drinker or if you, whenever you eat something that you like, actually deliberately notice just it's the practice of deliberately noticing anything as you go through your life sunshine on your skin sounds feeling of the chair anything you can we can do this throughout the day it doesn't cost any money intentional noticing and then when your mind wanders off as it will bringing it back bringing it back bringing it back strengthens the attention muscle and the reward is a life that you can choose being able to deliberately intentionally purposefully engage with life and the icing on top is whenever you have a good experience you can dial up the pleasure
0: and i think those who might not like oh it's mindfulness whatever no rephrase it it's attention training just like you would practice free throws, just like you would practice throwing strikes. That's the world I come from. It's just a practice. And I think that makes it a little bit more accessible. And I'd like to throw out there, there are free tools on your smartphone. There is an app for that. And personally, my favorite is Insight Timer, which is a a free app, but you throw, like you do throughout the whole book, links Mm. to wonderful resources like calm headspace Mm. waking up uh with sam harris so there are tools out there to help you yes um or just notice notice your next meal a little bit a little bit closer
1: yes yeah and those apps you you mentioned yeah really glad you've done that they a lot of them are free and uh especially the sam harris one he's he's got a price but he says look Look, if, if your, things are tight, money's tight, just ask and you can have it. That's it. And it's, it's a tremendous app. Uh, a lot of great interviews in there, too, and lessons. But the Insight Timer, yeah, what a resource. So mindfulness is, is, is one of the things. But it's not enough to be present. We really also need to spend some time thinking about what is important to us not our parents, not our culture, not our society, our communities, but what do we choose to care about? And that takes a, a little bit of time because we're all soaked in what society tells us. People of our gender and of our age ought to be interested in. And it's, uh, it's a little bit of a task, but there's lots of exercises we can do to think about actually what matters to me what would make my life meaningful and then we if we don't have a a compass direction chris it makes it very difficult to choose what direction to go in so <laughs> in life right. you know we, we, we it, the, the, one of the first steps really the very first steps is deciding where we want to go i or you know hey I was just going to say,
0: I think another, I've heard that metaphor before, but a new one I heard from your book was yeah. you have to lean the ladder on the right wall. That one, mm. I, that one, I guess resonated with me in a new way, because if you're not against the right wall, you're climbing to the wrong destination. And this yeah. is in this third way that we can kind of prepare our minds. And that is I think what everything was really building towards was courageous authenticity. So if you could define that, um, yes, for the folks, and then maybe offer some ways we can we can kind of jumpstart this because it does seem like a challenging task. What what direction do I set for myself? What wall do I lean against? Yes. But you offer some really actionable um, and accessible. Ways to start. So, if you couldn't share those, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah,
1: Yeah, sure. And look, before I forget, because it it could slip my mind, I just want to say, especially when you're young, the most important thing is to try leaning your ladder against lots of different walls. There's no way when you're 25 or younger that you can possibly know what the best life for you is. It's just no way, you, you don't have enough life experience to know, yeah, no, I definitely want to, to, to live in, work in medicine. I definitely want to be a lawyer for the entire month. I definitely want to be a writer. Maybe maybe you do, but I really encourage people to try lots of different things, expose themselves to many, many different professions. What you've learned about various professions on TV, it could be well-divorced from reality. So try lots of things, do lots of different things. And then you've you've got more information, more data to make a decision. But turning back to courageous authenticity, and I'll just take a quote from the book. In an authentic life, we are authoring our own lives. We're taking ownership of our precious time alive, and we are deciding what matters to us and what doesn't. We're deciding what we'd accept for ourselves and others and what we won't. We're aligning our actions with what's personally important. We're choosing our own direction and how we'll show up along the way. This is courageous authenticity. We need courage because doing what's important to you is not always gonna align with what others want. It is, in fact, it's certainly not always going to align with what everyone wants. So, courage is going to be required. Uh, the rest of the world has expectations for how you ought to live. And if you want to truly be yourself, you are going to be in conflict at times with those expectations. And if we really want to avoid the number one regret of the dying, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. Then we need to get better. And it's a practice to get better at recognizing what we care about and then intentionally choosing. And this isn't being dismissive of others, and inconsiderate, but by no means it's not. We're talking about at times, when it matters, when it really matters, at times choosing to do what's personally important whilst it still feels uncomfortable.
0: That's really important to mention that feeling that discomfort towards your goal, I've found in my short time probably means you should go for it. If there's a little bit of discomfort, that's a good sign. That means you're you're pointing in the right direction. Is that your experience?
1: Totally. A hundred percent, Chris. Yes. Anything that matters to you, You should be feeling some sort of discomfort because you might not get it. Now, that if (laughs) there should always be some kind of discomfort involved, pretty much always. Yeah. And the more important it is to you, the more you may feel anxious or daunted. So, yeah, big goals are going to come with trepidation, but it's a kind of excitement as well. It's an excitement. So, yeah, expect it. It's the price of having a meaningful life.
0: I love that. I think, thank you for mentioning to try many different walls Mm. as a young person because that's the um, largest group of folks that listen to this, uh, this podcast. And I think sometimes I find myself spending too much time trying to think my way through what it is I want without taking action. You know, mm-hmm. you're never going to know until, until you take action. And I think the more I hear that message from yes. folks farther down the path, like yourself, the more it sinks in. And the, the more, I guess the more courage I have to, to take that step.
1: Yeah. And your, your podcast guest in your, one of your earlier podcasts was talking about affective, forecasting indeed this is yeah right and uh, this is really important so people of and i'm people and your people and your listeners people let's say we we are really bad at predicting what is going to actually bring us pleasure or let me say how we're going to feel we're really bad at predicting how we're going to feel and a lot of times we may hold back from trying something new because our mind says, ah, you won't like that. You won't like that. No, there's, there's no point. And we hold back. But if we can have just a little bit of courage to taste it, not to commit ourselves to doing it for a lifetime, but maybe do it for an afternoon. Check it out for an afternoon. We will be surprised. We will often be surprised. We'll have a green eggs and ham moment. Now, are you familiar with green eggs and ham, Chris? We are. Yeah, right, right. And there was a reluctance to eat those green eggs and ham. But when they were finally tasted, what well, I do like green eggs and ham. Sam, I am. So <laughs> the same thing applies to us. We need to be willing to taste the green eggs and ham in life from time to time when it shows up. Find out for ourselves. Our minds are very pessimistic often about what we'll actually find pleasure in. And so, yeah, it's worth tasting a lot of different careers, if you can, and hobbies.
0: Especially especially at this point in my life, I feel like, and I'm talking about myself, but other folks in the college, um, new grad age. I would want to honor our time, but if we couldn't finish up with... At the end, again, going back to this wonderful structure of you outline seven concrete, actionable steps to kind of work towards living authentically. Could you share what that seventh step is in that the other six build towards?
1: Yes. Yeah. What I'd like to say is that the seven steps sometimes for people will find that if they just do the first step, that opens everything up. That's, That's enough. Sometimes people will find, actually, it's step one and two. If I just do step one and two, that's enough. But I've got seven steps, and the the seventh step is important, and it is this. It's asking yourself a question when you're challenged. And the question is, now, what would the person I want to be do? Now, what would the kind of person I really want to be do in this circumstance? And when you know the answer to that, and when you get better at choosing to be that kind of person, you are well on the path to creating a really awesomely rewarding and personally meaningful life, whilst at the same time avoiding the number one regret of the dying. And this isn't a selfish thing, Chris, because the planet needs people to lead courageous lives. We've got a lot of problems on the planet at the moment we've got a lot of problems with in society disagreements between different uh, political groups and religious groups we've got climate problems we've got food production problems environmental concerns we need courageous thinking so when you're living a courageous life this isn't just a selfish act just so that you have a wonderful time we need it we need people to be living and loving and leading with courage,
0: Eric, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up all the ideas that are really jam-packed in a really accessible format. This book is not going to take you
1: a month to read. I assume you're intentional about that. (laughs) Massively. I hate fluffy books full of padding and noise. And I really wanted to write a book that got to the point quickly, that was clear and cut out all the fluff and the bubble wrap and just <laughs> gave you the essence of what you need to know. And you could read this. You could probably read it in a couple of hours. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I might mention that you, you don't need to buy the full book to, to taste the book. So you can download the first chapter of the book from my website. Uh, ericwinters.com.au and I reckon if you like the first page it all begins in the acknowledgements if you like the first page you'll love the book Uh, you don't need to read any further than that just taste it I
0: couldn't second that more and there are actionable tidbits in every single chapter there are links at the end of chapters to TED Talks YouTube videos, books, Mm. and I think I need to go through it a second time to really take advantage of all of those. But I just want to say thank you for compacting all of this research and all of these resources by folks at the tops of their fields and making Mm. it into an accessible format. You mentioned your website, ericwinners.com.au. That's for Australia, for us uh, American (laughs) folk. Is there anything else... You'd like to mention that we didn't talk about yet, or point other people, uh, point the people to, as this wraps up.
1: I'm I'm happy that we have we've covered off on the main things. If people would like to connect on uh, Facebook or LinkedIn, then you are more likely to hear about my free webinars I give. That's once a month. I give a half hour webinar over Zoom. And uh, I have a very, very infrequent newsletter. I have an aversion to filling people's inboxes or anybody else filling my inbox with uh, lengthy prose. So uh, I I will not abuse it. But uh, yeah, to to be in the loop, connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn.
0: Beautiful. And all of those links and everything we've mentioned thus far will be in the show notes where you can just click on over to chrismcgrory.net and find everything, find links to the books and everything we talked about. Eric, that was an absolute blast. Thank you for answering my million questions and yeah, just having a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: A real pleasure, Chris. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Be well.
1: Hey,
0: everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that one. As always, you can find links to everything we discussed, show notes, and a lot more goodies like my favorite reads on my website at chrismcgrory.net. That's C-H-R-I-S-M-C-G-R-O-R-Y.net. Thanks so much and see you next time.